I want us to look this afternoon at a portion of scripture that is very familiar. One that, as I said, is often read at services like this when there's concentration made upon the theme of the nativity, the advent of Christ. I'm sure we all know that Christ was born in Bethlehem. And we should know that that was no coincidence and it certainly was no mere happenstance. It was the deliberate outcome of the will of God. It was in God's providence that it should be so. Now whether the Lord was born on December 25th is besides the point. It really doesn't matter. The date, we know that Christ Jesus did come into the world. And while we may not know exactly the time, we do know that the Holy Spirit has pinpointed through the prophet Micah the exact place from whence the Messiah would come. And so you go back there to the book of Micah, chapter 5 and verse 2, where it records, But thou, Bethlehem Ephrathah, though thou be little among the thousands of Judah, yet out of thee shall he come forth unto me, that is to be ruler in Israel, whose goings forth have been from of old, from everlasting, or as it is in the margin, from the days of eternity. This place, Bethlehem Ephrata, a little village, was a most unlikely place, humanly speaking, for the Savior to be born. We can say, for example, it was miles from Nazareth, Mary's hometown. And furthermore, in her physical condition, being heavily with child, she was expecting a child very soon, it was really improbable that she would undertake such an arduous journey on a donkey to the little, to the little town of Bethlehem. It was about 90 miles or so away. But God was in control, and the Lord so ordered events as to compel the Caesar of the time, the ruler of that area, to make a decree that all the citizens of the Roman Empire must return to the place of his or her birth to be taxed, as the Bible puts it, or enrolled, as the margin has it, in the census. It was the taking of a census of all the Roman citizens. And so this was a decree made by the emperor at the time. So in the providence of God, all those people who were of the lineage of David were compelled to travel to that small town of Bethlehem so that the scriptures might be fulfilled. Now, the Romans didn't care about fulfilling scripture. It was neither here nor there as far as they were concerned whether people went to Bethlehem or wherever, just so as they could fulfill the demands of the taxing. And so in God's providence, all the people of the lineage of David were made to travel to Bethlehem. Now, being such a tiny village, you won't be surprised, and they wouldn't have been surprised, to find that all the available accommodation was snapped up. And so Mary and Joseph 
having to come a great distance and of necessity very slowly, must have arrived at Bethlehem quite late in the day. And they could find no lodging place for themselves and the unborn baby. Luke's Gospel, chapter 2, says in verse 7 that Mary brought forth her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling clothes and laid him in a manger because there was no room for them in the inn. Bethlehem only had one inn. It only had one place, the equivalent of a motel, though it would have been very different to our motels. And so they were compelled to look for somewhere to put down their head for the night. And so they ended up in a lowly stable with the animals, awaiting the birth of one who was the son of the highest. You wouldn't expect him to be born in a stable. You wouldn't expect him to be laid down to sleep in what was essentially a trough for animals to eat from, the manger. But we do read that he was brought forth. He was wrapped up in swaddling clothes, which were really bands that were used to embalm dead bodies. And he was laid in a manger for this simple reason that's outlined there at the end of verse 7. There was no room for them in the inn. You know, it's very sad to think of that. A young family like that traveling a woman who's about to give birth and in her condition she has to end up going into an animal's stable. There's nowhere for her to stay. Nowhere for her to be comfortable in bringing forth her child. There was no room for them in the inn. There was in that little town of Bethlehem no room for Jesus. That's a sad thing. But I think even more tragically is the fact that today it is no different where many people are concerned. This Christmas, just like every other Christmas, there will be people who have no room in their hearts, in their lives, in their homes for Jesus. Now this phrase, there was no room for them in the inn, really has more relevance than is often realised. I want us to think about the relevance of this statement and show you what I believe the Bible would have us to learn from it. Let's notice three things that these words reveal to us. There was no room for them in the inn. Number one, you have there a pointer to the, to the position which he was to adopt in life. The position that he, Christ, was to adopt in life life. Right from the beginning of his earthly sojourn, the Lord Jesus was an outcast. He was an outcast of society because there was no room for him. The prophet Isaiah had mentioned this fact back in his prophecy in Isaiah 53, in verse 3. Speaking of him, the Messiah, he says this, He is despised and rejected of men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief, and we hid, as it were, our faces from him. He was despised, and we esteemed him not. 
despised and rejected of men. There was no room for him. And being born in a stable and laid in a manger only served to prove this statement of Isaiah's. The Lord Jesus was destined to be the rejected and despised one all throughout his earthly sojourn. It was always going to be the case that there was no room for him. We read in Luke chapter 9 and verse 58, the words of Jesus himself, that the foxes have holes and the birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man hath not where to lay his head. Had no place of his own, no place that he could call his own. This was to be his experience throughout life. In other words, there was always going to be no room for the Lord. That was always going to be the way it was. Now, it was, of course, never his intention to come to anything other than the lowly and humble place. He said it himself, the Son of Man has come not to be ministered unto, but to minister, not to be served, but to serve, and to give his life a ransom for many. He left the splendors and the glories of heaven deliberately, to take unto himself the form of a servant or, or a bond slave, to dress in the garb of a Galilean peasant. We know this because when they divided his garments at the cross, there was that one-piece garment that was nearest to his skin that they gambled over. They didn't want to tear it in pieces. That was the robe worn against the skin by Galilean peasants. And we see from this, that he was always going to be an outcast. He companied with humble fishermen. And the scripture in describing the Lord says in Matthew chapter 2, verse 23, And he came and dwelt in a city called Nazareth, that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken by the prophets, he shall be called a Nazarene. Now, you'll not find that statement in the Old Testament in any of the prophets that actual quotation. But what, what the author here is telling us is that this was the general theme of their teaching. This was the general statement that was made about Christ from all of their prophecies put together. He should be called a Nazarene. He's an outcast. That's what it means. There's no room for him. When you look in the Scripture... At the first glimpse of the baby Jesus, that which the shepherds saw when they came with haste and looked in there in that manger, it shows us that his life on earth was destined to be a season of humiliation. He wasn't born in a palace. He wasn't brought up in a palace or in circumstances like that where a nobleman would be kept. But rather... He came to a position that he was always going to adopt. He was always going to be on the outside. Paul, when he was writing about giving and receiving to the Corinthians, he said in 2 Corinthians chapter 8 and verse 9, For ye know, for ye know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, and it's talking about when he was in heaven, Yet for your sakes he became poor, that ye through his poverty might be rich. He became poor. 
As the hymn says, he became poor to ransom my soul. He became an outcast. Came to a place of humiliation. And the reason that he was born as a baby on earth was that he might grow up to be a man and die as a man for men on the cross. So when we think of Calvary, the shame, the ignominy, the humiliation of it all, surely it's fitting that he was born in a humble place. This was his destiny. It wouldn't have been appropriate for the Lord to be brought forth in a palace and cradled in the lap of luxury, considering the purpose for which he came and the shameful death that he was going to endure. All the circumstances of his birth are pointing to his death. He came to shame and spitting. The one who would later be laid in a borrowed grave, a borrowed sepulchre, must be laid first in a borrowed stable. He was an outcast, one for whom there was no room. So this is the first thing that we learn, the position which he was going to adopt in life. No room for him. But we should also consider the place from which he was to be absent. And it's simply referred to as the inn. It's a particular place. There was only one. There's only one inn in Bethlehem. There was no room for them in the inn. There's only one lodging place, one place where people could stay. And he was not to be able to stay there. Now, I should emphasize that the inn in those days was not like a modern motel or a hotel. People did not pay to stay there or lodge there. It was actually free to all. And even though that was the case, there was no room for our Lord that night. And if I could just apply this spiritually, just as there was no room for the Lord in the actual stable that night, there's no room for the Lord in the inn of men's hearts. The Lord cannot enter, even though there's room for everyone and everything else. That night in Bethlehem, there were lots of other people that got to stay in the inn. Lots of people with their possessions and their baggage, they were able to stay in the inn, but there was no room for him and for the family. And today, even though people will give lip service to the birth of Christ, they'll talk about Jesus' birth, the fact that he came into the world, They'll give some sort of lip service to that. Yet in reality, in a very real sense, there is no room in their hearts and their lives and their homes for Jesus Christ. There will be room for everything else, all the jollification and the fun and the fellowship and the food and all of that, but no room for him. The inn at Bethlehem was entirely filled up. And that's why there was no room for the Christ child, not even a little space. And that's why men's hearts will not open up to the Lord and the things of the Lord because their hearts are filled up with other things. I think it's remarkable the excuses that people make 
for not coming out to church, for not coming out to hear the gospel. If you ever invite someone to a gospel service, the likelihood is that they'll find some excuse not to come. That's the experience of many who try to evangelize others. They get this negative answer all the time. I'm too busy. I haven't got time. I'm not coming. Now, of course, church attendance doesn't save you anyway. Going to church will not save you. But it is interesting the people who will say to you, if you ask them along to a gospel service, I haven't got the time. But isn't it a strange thing that they always have time for the things that they have to do and the things that they really want to do? People have time to make money at Christmas time and every other time of the year. I've always got time for that. If they can make a quick buck in many cases, they're all for it. Plenty of people, and I'm not against the entrepreneurial spirit, but there are plenty of people making a killing at Christmas time. Because they know that there are people who are going to buy gifts that they can't afford for people who don't even want the gifts, necessarily. Making money, there's always time for that. Always time for recreation and pleasure. People always can make time to have fun. Visiting friends and relatives, that's a wonderful thing to do. Spurgeon said he wished there were 100 Christmas days in the year so that families could get together. It would be a boon to the working man in England. J.C. Ryle said something similar. I was reading a, a piece by him yesterday where he talked about families gathering and what a blessing that was to English homes that people could have a day off and they could gather with their families. It's a good thing. But people will find time to visit friends and relatives, no problem at all, but they don't have time for the Lord. Maybe they make time for doing odd jobs at home. Time is always made for that. They have time just to live their lives. Eat, drink, and be merry, or have a nap. Plenty of time for that, but no room for Christ. And this statement about the inn at Bethlehem is really reflective of man's heart. His heart is a place from which the Lord is absent. He's outside of the inn of their hearts. And he's willing to come in, but there's no room for him. We know that great scripture, that invitation to the church at Laodicea. Revelation 3.20, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If any man hear my voice and open the door, I will come in to him and will sup with him and he with me. But yet people don't have time for that. They don't make time and they don't have time for the Lord. There's a hymn entitled, Make Room for Him. It goes like this. No room for thee, thy blessed one, the Father's holy child, his well-beloved only Son, the Savior undefiled. No room for thee in crowded inn that evening long ago. Behold the Lamb who bore our sin, shut out by hearts below. No room for thee, thy love did seek to win thine own in vain. 
For they were proud, and thou wert meek, they would not let thee reign. No room at last on earth for thee, as neath the startled sky, with cruel scourge and mockery, they led thee forth to die. No room for thee, ah, still tis true. Men cast thy claims aside. The record old is ever new, they hate the crucified. No room for thee in busy marts, thy pure and gentle face would shame the hard and selfish hearts that run the worldly race. No room for him whose sacrifice can put thy guilt away. O doubting soul, arise, arise, receive the Christ today. His grace extol, his praises sing. Make room for him alone, for he is Lord and he is King and did for sin atone. Make room for him. Make room for him. He stands outside the door. He waits amid the shadows dim and knocks and calls once more. And this is what the Lord does when the gospel is preached. He's calling at men's hearts. And yet their hearts are so filled up with other things. They have no time for him. Room for pleasure, room for business, but none for Christ. You know, perhaps in that inn of old, I've, I've thought about this. They may have been able to make some adjustments and they could have made room if they wanted to. Surely they could have. This is just one woman and her baby. Surely they could find some little space. But no. And that's the way it is with sinful men today. They have no desire to make room for the Savior. And this incoming week, tomorrow and the following days, room will be made for fun and for festivities and for family and for friends and maybe even for the form of religious worship. And yet so many will still not have room at the end of their hearts for Jesus. There's a third thing. There was no room for them in the inn. It makes me to think of the people with whom Christ was to be associated. The people with whom he was to be associated. Note carefully the statement here. There was no room for them in the inn. See, quite often this is read this way, there was no room for him in the end. But the, the actual statement that's made there in the Bible is there was no room for them. You see, those who were with Christ suffered the same fate as he did. Not only was there no room for him at, in the end, there was no room for them. And what would we learn from that? Well, it's a fact that the world really doesn't want Jesus Christ and as a result, it doesn't want those people who are associated with Christ either. They don't want the friends of Christ. There was no room for them. Didn't the Lord Jesus warn the disciples about this? And in warning them, he warned us. Let me read these verses. John chapter 15 from verse 18. Listen. If the world hate you, you know that it hated me before it hated you. 
So that's the real reason for the hatred of the world for Christians. It's not that they hate the Christians for what they are in themselves. They hate them because they're associated with Jesus. And he went on to say this. If ye were of the world, the world would love his own. But because you're not of the world, but I've chosen you out of the world, therefore the world hateth you. Remember the word that I said unto you, the servant is not greater than his Lord. If they have persecuted me, they will also persecute you. If they've kept my saying, they will keep yours also. But all these things will they do unto you for my name's sake because they know not him that sent me. You see this? For my name's sake. Christians are ridiculed, they're maligned, they're laughed at, they're mocked by the world. Why? Because of their association with the Lord Jesus Christ. You're on his side, therefore you're a marked man. If the world has no room for him, why should we expect them to have room and time for us? Because we represent him. The truth is, we should not expect the world to love us. There was a young man who was friendly with D.L. Moody, the evangelist. And when he was talking to Moody about the things of God about salvation. He said, Mr. Moody, if I, if I come to Christ, well, I have to give up the world. And Mr. Moody looked at him, he said, young man, if you come to Christ and start living for him, you won't have to worry about that because the world will give you up. The world will give you up. They will put you from their company, Scripture says. Are we prepared to side with Christ? Or are we too fond of the society of the world? Back in Great Britain, there is a sport. Some people don't like to refer to it as a sport. It's quite cruel, actually. Where men on horses with hounds will chase after a jackrabbit, a hare. They'll let the hare go free and then the hounds will follow the scent until they find that. And those horsemen on bugles will blow their horns. And it's a big thing to have an outing for the day to go, to go hunting for the hare. And when they find the hare, they tear it to pieces. But there's a saying, some people want to run with the hare and hunt with the hounds. They want to run with the hare and be on the side of the jackrabbit, but they also want to hunt with the hounds. But you can't do that. You can't be on both sides. You're either going to be out and out fully decided for Christ or for the world. There's a choice to be made. And when the Lord gave that parable of the sower, he referred to this in Matthew chapter 13. Listen to these words in verses 20 and 21. Talking about the seed in stony places, he said, Yet hath he not root in himself, but dureth for a while? For when tribulation or persecution ariseth because of the word, by and by he is offended. 
The thorny ground is something similar. The thorns choke out the spiritual life. When you make room for Christ, the world will have no room for you. 2 Timothy 3.12 Yea, and all that will live godly in Christ Jesus shall suffer persecution. Are we willing to be identified with Christ and with Christ's people? Because those that are associated with Christ, who are also associated with his people, the world will put them away from their company. In Acts chapter 4, verse 23, the Bible gives us another instance of this. Speaking of some of the Lord's people, it says, And being let go, they went to their own company and reported all that the chief priests and elders had said unto them. They went to their own company. There's a company that we belong to if we're the Lord's. Are we willing to be identified with him and with his? The Lord Jesus went to the cross to make room for us in his heavenly inn, if I could put it that way. And so the hymn writer said, there's room at the cross for you. There's room at the cross for you. Though millions have come, there's still room for one. There's room at the cross for you. All that the Father giveth me shall come to me, and him that cometh unto me I will in no wise cast out. Take the world, but give me Jesus. All its joys are but a name. Are we willing to be associated with the people who are associated with Christ? If somebody hears this message, perhaps on the internet, perhaps on a future date, and you're not saved, I trust that God will cause you to make room in your heart for Christ. And I don't mean just give him a little section in the corner. I mean give him your whole heart and your whole life. Let him fully possess your heart and your life. Because that's what he demands. He doesn't demand that you give him a wee bit of room, that you make a little bit of provision for him, but that you give your entire self to his service. There was no room for them in the inn. There's going to be a lot of people that you encounter this Christmas who are just like that. They haven't got any room for Christ. But may we not be among them. May we always make room for the Son of God. Make room for His will. Make room for His plan and purpose to be carried out by us. May the Lord help us. For His name's sake. Amen.